This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. The time for empty talk is over. The ECB is ready to do whatever it takes. Because Brexit means Brexit. Outer Blue by Amundi. Yeah, let's start with our call, the blue conversation call about the German elections. My name is Christian Pellis. I'm the CEO of Amundi in Germany. And with me today, uh, three experts on, on the German election that took place last Sunday. Um, we expected uh, a little bit what we, we saw in the polls uh, as a result, which was, uh, I think, good news. But let's hear from uh, the experts later. Who do we have with us today? First of all, Fabian Suleik. Fabian is the chief executive and chief economist of the European Policy Center. Uh, he took the role as chief executive in 2013, but is there since 2010 as a chief economist. And he kept that role also when he took over as chief executive. With us from Paris, DJ Borowski. DJ is our head of Global Views. And uh, for many of you, you probably know him uh, already. Um, he gives us uh, some contrary views sometimes, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit also later about Europe as a whole and maybe touch on the French elections. Also with us today, Thomas Krusen. Thomas Kruse is our CEO in Amundi here in Deutschland, and he will comment uh, mainly on the German elections, of course, and what it means for us here in Germany, but also how the est allocation will be done uh, going forward, given the result of this election. Fabian, to start with you, um, the elections, uh, it was not a big surprise looking at the polls. The polls did it right. What does it mean for, for Germany and, and maybe for Europe? Um, thank you very much. Um, it's a pleasure to, to talk to you today. Um, yes, it wasn't a, a great surprise in one sense. It wasn't a great surprise uh, when you looked at the polls just before the election. But we should also recall that over the last year or so, uh, we've actually seen quite a number of big changes in the opinion polls. Um, so we had seen at one point the Greens being at record highs, um, speculation that we might have a Green Chancellor. Uh, at some point, the CDU CSU came back. Um, so there was quite a bit of variability uh, beforehand. But what we got in the end was pretty much in line with the opinion polls just before the election. And in a sense, it's a bit of a paradox. Uh, because if we look at it at the highest level, uh, yes, there's the trend towards greater fragmentation and variability, which we've seen in many European countries. We have now, um, well, I've, I've counted them, we've now got eight parties uh, in the Bundestag, in the parliament, um, six major ones, and then um, two, one very small one, and uh, the CSU, uh, of course, the sister party of the CDU. Um, the, even the biggest party has only got just over a quarter of the vote. Um, so we have seen the parties also coming closer together. Um, the two biggest parties, what in Germany you call the Volkspartei, the, the major parties, they now barely get above 50%. Uh, we uh, in the past had a situation where they would have uh, 80-70% of the vote, um, but that trend uh, that the two have lost um, has gone on. And now we most likely, not necessarily, but most likely we need a coalition of three parties, um, not two parties as we've had in the past, uh, which is expected to be uh, a little bit less stable. 
But I think there's another part to the story, which is that actually what the election also shows is a lot of continuity, a lot of stability. Uh, this is overall a very strong, centrist, stable um, parliament. Uh, we have at the left and the right fringes about 15% of the vote, actually less than we've had uh, in the past. Um, Scholz, in many ways, is the continuity candidate, uh, given that he was the finance minister in the current uh, election. Laschet was the new candidate, uh, given that he, he was not uh, in the federal government in, in Germany. Uh, and overall, there's a very, very strong consensus, apart from the fringes, of a broad centrist agenda, which is very pro-European. And I think what we are going to see is, um, and here I'll, I'll um, do the thing we should never do as economists, make a prediction, um, but I think we are going to see relatively quickly uh, that uh, we will uh, go towards the so-called traffic light coalition um, and SPD Chancellor uh, Scholz will become Chancellor, in my opinion, uh, then supported by the Greens and by the Liberals, the FDP. Um, and I think we're actually going to manage before Christmas. Uh, there's such a strong momentum behind it now that it's hard to see that anything else could come out of this. Because any other outcome would involve still the CDU, CSU in government. And there the mood is very, very clear. I cannot see um, the SPD or the smaller parties, the Liberals and the Greens, supporting um, the CDU, CSU to stay in government. So I think we are actually going to have uh, quite a quick return to stability. And contrary to some comments, I think we are actually going to see a rather stable coalition. Um, it's uh, not going to be the case uh, that the differences which are there um, are going to lead to a breakdown. It will be difficult in part, but I think uh, we will see a relatively stable arrangement um, for the next years. Yeah, well, I was reading an article in the Handelsblatt this morning, which also stated that uh, Laschet was by the people on the polls from yesterday, I think, not the one who they wanted to have as the Chancellor, but definitely Scholz was very clear. And Scholz was also very clear he wanted to start the Greens party. I think that there should be under no circumstances uh, they should think to work with the CDU, CSU. So he's managing it well at the moment. The markets, Thomas, on Monday, I mean, they reacted also very positively. Um, what can you say about that? Yes, I think uh, the main outcome probably um, was that the, the worst case scenario, which was possible before, let's say, the election itself, so by the polls, might have been uh, that we would have be as well the optionality of a red, red green coalition. This would be a worst case for markets, as uh, this did not happen. Uh, and the traffic light coalition was, let's say, that one which was the most uh, favored for regarding the polls. Uh, we had only just some minor reaction. I think the positive one is due to the fact that this worst case is not uh, is no longer valid. Uh, there we saw a slight up uh, um, increase in uh, especially in equities. Um, and on the other angle, uh, as I mentioned already, that the SPD-led traffic light coalition was already in, we saw already a decrease between uh, Italian spreads and German government bond spreads in advance of the election itself. So there was just a small comeback, but that's it mainly. So no, let's say, big 
big moves on the uh, sorry on the markets a little bit upwards on the equity markets on Monday. Thank you, thank you, uh, Thomas. If you look at Germany the last sixteen years on the, the era of Merkel, the com the country needs to change. Uh, DJ, you know what is the structural changes you think you know Germany need to undertake in in the years ahead? Yeah, there are, there are several uh, uh, challenges for Germany that are not always specific to Germany. I mean, the, the, the point is that uh, the world is uh, evolving quite rapidly. But if you want to focus on Germany, for instance, it's true that uh, German growth over the past 15 years has been driven by uh, uh, its uh, own specialization, you know, in the car sector and some uh, uh, in some goods. Uh, uh, and the fact is that uh, China is bound to slow uh, in the coming uh, in the coming decade. So my point is that this engine of growth will not disappear, but uh, will vanish to some extent. And uh, 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 Germany needs to think about uh, 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 new engines of growth. So that's a, that's the first point. Germany needs also to evolve on uh, uh, the green transition. But I think that the participation of the greens is clearly good news uh, for a convergence, at least for France, with France and with other countries uh, looking uh, looking ahead. And there is a big, big challenge for Germany that is not only for Germany, but in, in particular for Germany, which is the, 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 the aging of the population. And I think that on all these strategic issues, uh, I think there is a, a, a almost a consensus between the government parties, and in particular between the parties that are going to form the coalition, namely probably the FDP, the Greens, and uh, the CDU. My point is that uh, I believe they all agree that at some point they will need to uh, uh, increase their retirement age. Uh, they would uh, all uh, agree that uh, uh, there are some uh, infrastructure investment that are needed. Uh, they may disagree uh, on the modalities because uh, I, I guess that you have some supply side you know, tax cuts that the FDP would favor, while uh, uh, the SPD is more in favor of big infrastructure uh, uh, plans. But at the end of the day, a compromise is, uh, uh, is expected, as uh, uh, Mr. Zuleg said, uh, uh, by uh, Christmas. Uh, we'll have to look uh, very carefully on the, on the details of this, uh, of this compromise. So big challenges looking ahead due to the fact that uh, uh, what has occurred over the past 15 years is not, it's impossible to replicate I would say the same kind of growth. So it's time to change, and uh, and that's basically uh, that it reforms are very much needed uh, in Germany. It's impossible to wait uh, to wait more. So it's going to be very important for uh, other European countries to look at the compromise uh, that uh, will be reached uh, in Germany uh, in the coming months between the governing uh, parties. So to, to put it in a nutshell, uh, the aging of population and the fact that uh, the specialization of the country. It might be a disadvantage looking ahead uh, for Germany are too big concerns. Well, I think the result of the vote was clearly that people here would like change. So I think it is expected uh, that change is coming. Uh, in what extent it will like then the change, that is another question. But uh, as you said, change is definitely needed. Uh, Fabian, in your point of view, has DJ forgotten something or is there anything to add from, from your perspective? Well, I, th I think um, these are the major transformations, which not only Germany has to go through. Um, most of Europe is facing this. Uh, there's also recognition that uh, the green, the digital uh, transformation uh, are necessary. I would maybe add um, the health question. Um, I think there's going to be a big focus on what do we do with health systems um, in, in um, particular the experience we've had with COVID. Uh, what does that mean? 
uh, also in terms of openness, um, not only in the health sector, but also in other sectors. So this question sometimes at the European level, uh, we call it strategic autonomy, uh, whatever the, the term is, uh, but the question of how do we deal also with a global environment, which is going to be more difficult. And for Germany, uh, this is, of course, an important question, um, given it's uh, still strong emphasis on export. I think the other side which I would also emphasize is uh, the social side. Um, I think we are going to see uh, increasing pressure coming through, also in part caused by these transformations, in terms of inequalities, in terms of parts of the population unhappy with uh, the direction in which uh, the country is going, and that will create tensions. Um, so. Uh, what has already been said, yes, it is very good that we have uh, the emphasis on climate, but that will have to be done in a way which is socially compatible, otherwise this government will lose uh, support very quickly. Um, and the last point I, I would add to that, um, because also I think this is an area where uh, there's a lot of room for improvement in Germany is uh, we have not, um, in my view, really tackled the question of how do we deal with education and skills properly. Uh, and this is a major um, problem underlying all of these transformations. Uh, we need to have the population which can do this. And in very many parts of Germany, the education system is still uh, not nearly as modern as you would expect um, from a country like Germany. Well, there was also in the Corona time that people said that technology is not that fast uh, developing and therefore, you know, if you do education, but you don't have the technology uh, on the right level, it is very difficult to, to do that when everybody's sitting at home. So when you look at, sorry, Thomas, you want to say something? Yes, um, probably I may add one one more point, because from a market perspective, um, even if I completely agree to the point that the traffic light coalition is the most favored one for the time being, um, but even with the so-called Jamaica coalition, uh, we have to tackle obviously the investments needed for green transition, for the retirement plan, as well as for uh, uh, the digitalization. However, I think what from, from a market perspective is interesting, obviously, with an SPD-led coalition, I think uh, we will not be that strict any longer with the debt break. Uh, even if the, the new coalition will not be able to remove it because uh, it's in the main legislation here in Germany. But however, I think they will be a little bit more or less hawkish uh, as well for Germany itself, as well as for the European community. And I think this is probably one of the main uh, differences between the two options we have so far. Maybe as well that it might be a little bit more positive for, for Europe in total because the, if we relax the spending, I think there might be an additional push coming from the government. Yeah, thank you, Thomas. Well, if I may well, just, yeah. just point to Chris on the, on the education, it's, a, it's clearly a key concern, and in particular regarding the structure of the population, because uh, uh, the next government will have to deal with uh, the necessity uh, for more immigration. There have been some calculations showing that uh, without massive immigration, uh, the uh, population would, uh, uh, the total population would shrink uh, too rapidly and it would put in danger, in fact, potential growth in Germany. Just want to give you a number uh, that uh, uh, if you assume an inflow of 8 million migrants by 2050, uh, the population would still fall by 7 billion by this date. And that's a key concern. And, and, and I just want to, to come back on the, on the education needs. 
it's a it's a you need massive in, in investment in infrastructure but also in education in training and to prepare the economy for um, more immigration not immediately because you need to, to reach a compromise but in the coming decade otherwise uh, uh, the german economy would experience a loss of uh, potential growth <laughs> In, interesting and, and interesting definitely to see how the government will will tackle that one after we have seen what happens when Frau Merkel opened the doors a couple of years ago and, and the reaction of the population here in Germany. When we look to the European impact, Frau Merkel was well known in Europe. She did a lot for Europe. This new government, traffic lights or Jamaica, will still be very much in favor of Europe. But what will be the impact at the European level of Germany going forward? Uh, Thomas touched on it slightly. Will it be the end of austerity forever, more or less integration and acceleration of the structural reforms, either with Jamaica or with traffic light. Uh, Fabian, you want to start? Sure. Um, I think, firstly, whatever coalition we will have, uh, Merkel will be missed. Um, she has been um, a very uh, prominent figure for a very long time, um, also at the European level. Um, it changes uh, the role of Germany within the balance. Um, uh, having someone who knows everybody, who has worked with everybody, who's able to pull things together, does make a big difference at the European level as well. So Germany will have to think much more about coalition building, trust building uh, with other countries um, than they had under the Merkel era. Um, I think it does also have an impact on Europe's global weight. Um, Merkel, um, despite some of the differences um, she had with uh, global leaders, um, we just have to think of the famous picture of her standing over uh, Donald Trump. Um, but uh, she was a voice which no one could afford not to listen to. Um, we are not going to have the same weight uh, at uh, the European level or at the German level um, when it comes uh, internationally. Um, I think uh, on policy, I would say, yes, there will be some changes, also depending on what coalition we will have. Um, but I would also not overstate it. Um, there is a rather broad consensus of the general direction of policy. Um, yes, there are nuances, there are differences in um, some areas, um, but in the end, um, and my expectation still is that the traffic light coalition is much more likely than the Jamaica coalition. This will also give a Chancellor Scholz uh, the opportunity to play the two sides against each other. Um, so in the end, you'll end up with somewhere in the middle, um, which is uh, the natural place for German policy uh, to be. Um, I think we are going to see some changes on economic governance. Um, we are, um, but we are already have seen massive changes. Um, what happened last year with the recovery and resilience funds uh, at the European level um, was already um, essentially euro bonds. The only difference is that these were sold at the time as temporary. Um, I think we are going to have a discussion rather soon uh, that this is not going to be temporary. This is going to be something which is there for a long time. Um, on some particular issues, yes, there will be differences, um, but there are also very strong drivers uh, which are driving integration at the European level. Um, so we are going to have much more of a discussion around uh, what needs to happen uh, around health, 
there's going to be a very strong discussion around security and defense. Um, and there is going to be a continuous discussion also on uh, how you can drive forward uh, a more positive picture of Europe um, with the transitions we already talked about, the, the digital, the green. Uh, and here, um, and that's just previewing a little bit what we're going to talk about uh, in, in a few minutes, but uh, there's also the big question of how is the new government going to work uh, with the French government um, because that's still, it's not the only thing which matters, uh, but certainly it's a necessary condition for making progress at the European level. Yes, uh, the fact is that uh, the well, key point, I would say, I fully agree yeah, with what uh, was said. My point is that uh, it would be a pro-European government. Now uh, the devil is in the details, uh, in particular regarding fiscal policy. Uh, the modalities of uh, the expansion in the in uh, in Germany is still uh, has still to be defined. I mean, is it uh, tax cuts or a massive infrastructure plan, etc.? So that's the first point. And the second point is, uh, I would say, the attitude of the next German government regarding the growth and stability pact. You know that uh, uh, the fiscal rules uh, were suspended in 2020 uh, due to the COVID crisis. Uh, they are going, coming back to the fore because they will be reactivated. They should be reactivated uh, at the start of 23. So the key topic now at the European level with what's next regarding the uh, European fiscal framework. And the fact is that uh, now there is almost a consensus between economists regarding the fact that uh, one size does not fit all and that you need uh, some specific constraints on countries. And when you say that, it means that you have to focus on uh, some uh, debt sustainability analysis on a country by country basis. And that's very complex and that's very difficult to implement. And there is absolutely no consensus within Europe regarding the uh, next stage for the European fiscal framework. So that's true. <laughs> there is convergence. This is good news. This is a pro-European government. But the fact is that we are going to see a very complex debate at the start of 2022 on fiscal rules looking ahead, what is the next fiscal framework? And I fully agree with what uh, Mr. Zulik said. It set uh, the, the, the next, uh, the, 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 the fund, the next generation EU fund uh, is set to be temporary, but at some point, I think that uh, European governments will uh, agree if structural reforms are implemented in uh, peripheral economies, and that's a very big condition and a big if, but if they are in the coming uh, years, I think that most European governments should agree that uh, this tool should be, should be made permanent. And that's going to be also a key uh, topic of discussion uh, in the coming years. And maybe DJ, let's stay in Europe for the moment. The French elections next year. Yes, that's true. That, that's a little bit that uh, for, too for, early for because we don't know precisely you know, the names of the candidates, especially on the right-wing side, so that's uh, too early to assess. But uh, one important point for investors is that contrary to uh, uh, last uh, during last elections, you have absolutely no party who is in favour of the Brexit, of the, you know, the exit from the European Union and uh, the exit from the Europe. 
So my point is that you have obviously big differences between the, the far right and the, the right and, the, and the Emmanuel Macron, but at the end of the day, uh, the good news is that uh, it should not put at risk, I mean, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the period do, uh, until uh, the election, uh, I would say, uh, uh, the European agenda with uh, that kind of uh, political noise that uh, uh, we experienced, I would say, during the, the, the last elections. So now, looking at polls, uh, I mean, they, they were right, I would say, in, uh, in, uh, in Germany, looking at polls today, it's a little bit too early, but it seems that Emmanuel Macron uh, uh, still uh, uh, leads. And uh, if the elections were to take place uh, in, uh, in the coming months, uh, uh, next month, I think uh, uh, the polls indicate that Emmanuel Macron would win. Uh, but uh, it's too early to, 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 to have a strong poll for next year. Yeah, let's not predict the future too much here. Um, when you go back, Fabian, to more the international world outside Europe, how do you think your Germany in particular uh, um, will, will? Let work me add one thing like on, on the French election. Not US, that uh, I, I would dare to, on, on to make a prediction either, but <laughs> it also has a relevance to to uh, the question you you just asked. Um, I think whatever the outcome is, and I, I would say at the moment, yes, the most likely outcome uh, is um, that Macron is re-elected. Um, but it also means it's a very different start to the new presidency. Um, we recall Macron coming in, uh, he came in also with his party gaining the most seats, so he had a lot of power in the system, he had momentum behind him. Um, I think the new president is not going to have the same momentum, but paradoxically at the European level that might actually be a good thing. Um, you might have um, uh, both governments in France, in Germany, uh, being more willing to cooperate, more willing to put things together, um, because together they can have a far greater impact globally uh, than they can individually. And that is going to be one of the big questions about how does the new government in Germany uh, react to the global developments? Um, and in some senses, uh, the relationship with all the major partners, um, both globally and regionally, are very difficult at the moment. Uh, there is a disillusionment uh, with China, uh, which uh, has been going on for uh, a number of, of uh, years, but I, I think at the moment, um, in many ways, uh, probably the relationship uh, between the EU and China is at uh, certainly at a recent low uh, when I look at, uh, at the situation, uh, also with sanctions and counter sanctions in place, uh, with quite an acrimonious uh, debate uh, on, on many issues. Uh, the relationship with the US, um, of course, it is much better uh, to have um, a President Biden than a President Trump from a European perspective and from a German perspective. But that doesn't mean everything is easy uh, with the new Biden administration. And we've seen that now with the Australia, UK, uh, US um, defense pact, uh, where um, the uh, procurement of French submarines uh, was rather casually disregarded um, to get this pact in place because uh, the US now uh, has um, if you like, a China-first policy. It is all about China, and that is the only thing which matters. 
Now, my view is uh, they have done this in a very bad way. Um, this could have been handled much better, but it also shows that there are still tensions, differences uh, in the relationship between the US uh, and the European Union. And then when we look uh, in our near neighborhood, uh, I think uh, we have a difficult relationship with Russia, a difficult relationship with Turkey, um, and increasingly, unfortunately, I think we also have uh, a difficult relationship with the United Kingdom, um, where, um, in my view, um, and unfortunately, I'm a Brexit pessimist, um, but in my view, the situation is going to get worse, not better. Uh, we're going to have a deterioration in that relationship. So a lot of challenges uh, in the global arena um, for the new German government and then also uh, for the next French president. Yes, yeah, just, just one point. Uh, that's true huh, that uh, Europe is uh, caught in a vice between uh, the United States and China. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know that the, the, the concept of strategic autonomy has gained ground, but at this stage it has remained uh, an empty concept uh, without, uh, you know, proper, proper measures, no proper measures have been have been taken. So the, the recent crisis in Afghanistan, plus uh, the AUKUS and what uh, what occurred with, between uh, Australia and uh, and France, just show that uh, the European of defense will come back to the fore much more rapidly than many had expected. Uh, there is a need, I would say, to be uh, more independent uh, from a strategic standpoint. And I guess that European governments and first France and Germany are expected to, 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 to find a, a compromise or a new approach. And that's, uh, that's something very important because the European Union wants to have a particular role in the global geopolitical order. You have on the one hand, you know, this rivalry between the, the US and China and uh, Europe on the one hand uh, uh, is very close uh, in terms of values or from a military standpoint, it's very close to the United States. But on the other hand, Europe wants to maintain very strong relationships with China, which is uh, its second uh, trade partners. And uh, looking ahead, that's uh, uh, very important from a strategic standpoint. And these two uh, uh, objectives, I would say, uh, are, going, are very, going to be very difficult to reconcile. So Europeans, and first, uh, I would say, French and Germany, need to think about what's next in terms of from a strategic standpoint for Europe, it's not only from an economic standpoint, it's also from a military standpoint, if they want to go one step further in terms of uh, integration to build uh, a common force. We are far, far away at this stage from any kind of agreement, but and it will come back to the fore because it is a, a hot topic, I would say, not for next year, but first for the coming decade. And I think that uh, uh, what has occurred recently uh, both uh, in Afghanistan and with Australia is a, is a, 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 a strong warning for uh, European leaders. Yes. When you talk about Europe, we have not yet spoken about Italy. I mean, another large country in, in the European community. What is Italy's role in this, Draghi's role in this, and, and how do you see that uh, having an effect on, on Europe as a whole? Because we need to be strong in order to, to, to have the various... Uh, battles with the US, with the UK, in a way, China and, and Russia, as you mentioned. We need to be aligned. Yes, Italy has started, you know, is a main beneficiary under the next generation EU fund. Uh, they have received uh, 25 billion euros. They are expected to, 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 to spend at least uh, half of this amount in uh, investment project by the end of this year. So that's things uh, are evolving uh, quite rapidly and in the right direction. 
that's uh, reassuring. I mean, said that, you know, the objectives are very, very high for Italy. And, uh, and uh, it's very, it will be very important to see if they manage over time, not only, you know, in the coming months over time, to respect the commitments. There are very strong commitments regarding, you know, uh, uh, structural reform, uh, their legal system, they are, you know, very strong commitments regarding that. They have made some progress, but it's very, very timid, I would say, at this stage. And, uh, uh, and the European leaders are going to follow that very, very uh, carefully, because it is clearly the future of the European integration that is at stake uh, with uh, the success of the next generation EU fund. But the good news is that uh, Mario Draghi uh, clearly has increased the pressure on his own government uh, uh, to deliver on what is uh, uh, requested. So it's too soon uh, to say if it will be a success, but I think there is a strong, strong uh, focus from the uh, Italian government uh, on, uh, on that and on the right uh, way to uh, implement the measures uh, that, have, uh, that have been announced. So let's wait and see, I would say. Wait and see, it's too soon to call. But Mario Draghi plays a very positive role, uh, uh, increasing the pressure on his own government. I, I fully agree that uh, Mario Draghi um, has done a phenomenal job, um, not only uh, in terms of convincing the rest of Europe that Italy is back, but also internally. Um, so uh, I, I think Italy for the moment um, it's always a good thing that when we have these discussions, uh, if we don't have to mention Italy. Um, so I think that shows that something is going right. Um, but I, I think clearly there are long-term structural challenges uh, in Italy. Um, and some of the uh, transformations which we've talked about um, equally apply to Italy um, there. Uh, and just to highlight one, uh, if we look at the demographic profile of Italy, um, it is a major challenge, uh, which will be something uh, which uh, will have to be resolved um, also in light of all the other investments which will have to be made. Um, so this is um, something where I think also the European funds mm -hmm. are playing a very important role um, because it enables uh, some fiscal space uh, for countries, uh, which otherwise wouldn't have that fiscal space to make these investments. Um, but I think we also need to look broader. Um, for better or for worse, the European Union will remain a collection of member states. Um, in some, it will go better. In others, we have more problems. Um, I think we shouldn't underestimate uh, the rule of law issue. Um, what? Uh, how do we deal? sustainably with countries uh, like Hungary, like Poland. Mm -hmm. um, so these challenges are there. But I think one of the very interesting things over the last years has been that uh, all the various crises we have gone through have actually shown that despite all of these challenges, uh, the European Union is rather stable. And uh, the people who have kept saying over the years um, that the European Union is on the brink of collapse, that it will not deal with these crises, that uh, it is not fast enough, not um, not nimble enough to uh, address them. Yes, there's a lot of things which can be criticized in the way the European Union has dealt with some of these issues. Uh, but overall, we do have a rather stable system which continues to work um, and which continues to also react to these crises. Um, and um, just to, to make a link back to the beginning, I think one of the things which many people in Europe have found over the last few months 
is the experience of uh, living in a continent where you actually have an electronic pass, which you can take across borders, where you can go to any place. Um, those of us who were on holiday, I was in uh, the deepest southern France, and you could go into any bar, any restaurant, and show your electronic pass. Um, so actually, um, I think there are also a number of positive things which are happening. Um, at the European level, and uh, I think sometimes maybe we we don't highlight the positive side as much, um, but just focus on those areas uh, where uh, corrective action is needed. That's uh, probably very true. Um, but yes, it's also true that traveling now outside Europe is much more complicated due to Corona and inside Europe, it is, it is a given. Also elections, I think, uh, live in, in France and now in Germany, you see that sometimes, you know, you follow the elections in your own country. It's always more complicated even in Europe to follow the elections in other countries that might be relevant for, for Europe. Uh, so we still have a job to do, I think, as a European group. But DJ? Yes, if I may add one specific point is that that's true. We've made a lot of progress, especially in crisis time. And it's always the case in Europe, we need a crisis to make some progress. And that was true with the QE, the possibility of the QE from the ECB. That's also true with the next generation EU fund and the fact that we have a common debt instrument. Having said that, the price to pay is elevated because the level of financial fragmentation is still very elevated in uh, Europe. And the fact is that the capital market union and the banking union have made no progress during this crisis. And I think this will be also a key concern for uh, European leaders. So you see that you have many, many topics to deal with <laughs> uh, at the European level uh, in, the coming, uh, in the coming two years in order, I would say, uh, to build a more resilient European Union. So the good news is that we have the policy tools, but we, don't, we still don't have, I would say, the market tools. Market fragmentation is too elevated. We need to make much more progress, in particular on the capital market union, in order in, to cap, you know, to, to bring the savings, we have abundant savings to investment project and uh, at, a, uh, at, at a global level in, uh, uh, in Europe. That's a key, uh, a key issue. Thank you, DJ. Let's move on to allocation investments. I mean, whatever is going to happen here in Germany uh, with the new coalition, the Green Party will be there. Uh, ESG is an important topic for Amundi and for all of us as, uh, as living in this, on this planet. Uh, what does that mean, Thomas, for, for a portfolio uh, based on this election, based for a European portfolio, even a global portfolio? How would you build your allocation and how would you include ESG in that? Yes, uh, you're completely right, Chris. Um, I think from first glance, let, let's have a look at the, the asset allocation overall. I think, uh, as we mentioned already, a lot of big projects for Germany where we have to see a lot of spending might be more corporatism uh, related to a tax advantage or even by a government. Um, this is still in favor for equity, as I would say, at least on a midterm view. Uh, as we do not expect on the other angle that interest rates will rise that much that, uh, let's say, from a spread perspective, uh, fixed income might get more interesting. I think for, for the bond part, it is by far more important uh, how the central banks will react globally and as well uh, on the European level. We touched a little bit Italy, um, maybe that uh, with the SPD a little bit more in favor for a recovery fund. Um, we see a little bit more support uh, for the Italian debt. Um, which might be in favor. From a regional perspective, I think the German election on a standalone basis is probably not that 
important. It is by far more important what kind of new coalitions we, we will form across Europe if we can create a certain kind of dynamic uh, that Europe is getting more uh, in favor that we see a next dynamic step, I would say, then we can a little bit uh, reallocate probably the equity proportions between US, Europe and emerging markets here, especially China. Um, and as you said, in every of the two discussed coalitions, we will have the Greens from that aspect. It may be, because this may be part of the negotiations, that we will have an earlier step out of coal production in Germany. Um, from that perspective, those sectors related to coal exploration will a uh, little bit hurt earlier. On the other angle, we have to ensure, obviously, that the green transition will happen without any frictions. Um, so investments in this area, companies who act in this area are probably the most favored one. And I'm as well a little bit more positive for the automobile sector, as I know that especially uh, we see a lot of models right now coming up, um, competing with Tesla, for example, on the one hand side. Um, the topic will be on the other angle if we have enough time and if we have uh, enough infrastructure spending that we can ensure that e-mobility will be really happy. Thank you, Thomas. Gentlemen, I think I've not forgotten anything to mention so far. So. With having said that, Thomas, yes, allocation. Thank you very much for the contributions, Fabian, DJ, and Thomas. We are likely going to see a traffic light versus a Jamaica coalition here in Germany. And I think we're going to see that uh, before Christmas. So Merkel is not going to do the New Year speech, but it will probably be Olaf Scholz uh, if things are going to remain the same. Thank you very much for your contribution. Thank you for your attendance. And hopefully see you at the next Blue Conversation at the morning. Thank you very much. Bye now. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.